Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, your creator and host. Uh, Scott. I'm not Scott. Scott is unable to participate in this show this week because his dad is in the hospital and it doesn't appear that he will be leaving. So Scott is with his family. Uh, we wish Barry all the best. Yeah, Scott, Barry, everybody. So with me this week is Carol, my wife. The temp! Hey! Carol likes doing the temp thing. Yeah. People are always happy to see the temp. They relieve someone shows up. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Our content is often intense, and some listeners may find it disturbing. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadian... We're two ordinary Canadian schmoes chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. No, 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 chomp. Listeners who feel they are in crisis can contact the Crisis Text Line in Canada by texting HOME to 686868. In the US or UK, text 741741. The service will match you with a volunteer counsellor who is supervised by a licensed, trained mental health professional. Crisis Text Line is free 24-7 support for those in crisis. For more information, go to crisistextline.ca in Canada or crisistextline.org globally. This show marks our third anniversary and is our annual Halloween episode. Yay! We delve into the spooky world of spiritualism, or the practice of communication with spirits from beyond the grave. Canada has a long history of folks who have attempted to communicate with the dead, a practice known as spiritualism. Some of these have claimed that they can connect directly with those on the other side. Here, we will give you a bit of history, tell some of their stories, and give a how-to primer for entertainment purposes only. That is cool. Have our own seance. We're not having our own seance. Oh. (laughs) What if I have one myself? You can if you'd like. Okay. We do not recommend, dear listeners, that you make any attempts to commune with the beyond using the methods we will speak about later. 
If you do so and incur negative consequences, we bear no responsibility for your decision to proceed. So if you invite ghosts in and they never leave, don't call us. We can't help you. And there's no such thing as Ghostbusters. Well, actually, Dan Aykroyd wrote a book about ghosts, so <laughs> it's kind of interesting. But he, he would know. He's he another Canadian who likes ghosts. Yeah, yeah, he loves ghosts. You are listening to Dark Poutine episode 147, Halloween 2020, Spiritualism in Canada, Seances, Mediums, and Spirits. Oh, oh my. my. In this episode, we will hear from an expert on matters supernatural, Morgan Knudsen. She's the author of Teaching the Living, From Heartbreak to Happiness in a Haunted Home. She was in episode 66 when we covered The Great Amherst Mystery. And this time I chatted with her about ways of maintaining one's spiritual fitness while attempting to connect with the other side and other related topics. Very cool. Science plus spirituality. It's cool. Equals fun. Mm -hmm. First of all, what is spiritualism? Do you know what spiritualism is? I thought I did, but I'll bet you're going to tell me. According to Walter J. Meyerzu Airpin and Joy Lowe in their paper, The Canadian Spiritualist Movement and Sources for its Study, quote, Spiritualism is a universal religion that draws from the teachings of Christianity and other world religions and philosophies, rather than relying on any one tradition or particular book, ancient or modern. Personal responsibility for the way one lives one's life is the cornerstone of spiritualist philosophy, and most spiritualists affirm the essential goodness of humanity as opposed to the idea of original sin and human depravity, deny any need for salvation, and do not believe in hell. Although spiritualists differ on the context which the survival hypothesis and the afterlife should be interpreted, studied, and propagated, they remain loosely united through a common belief in two basic tenets. One, survival beyond death of some as yet undetermined part of the human mind, intelligence, consciousness, or soul, which is referred to as spirit. And two, the possibility under circumstances of communication between spirit, which has survived death and spirit still in its earthly body. So, Carol. Yes. What are your, <laughs> what are your thoughts about the continuation of your consciousness somehow after one dies? I hope... I hope that our little essences are floating around somewhere and we all get to meet and hang out. I just, I hope that there is somewhere nice, of course, to go hang out with all the other people that. It's a nice thought. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what do you think that place looks like? You say it's nice, but what does nice mean? I feel mean? like the weather would be nice all the time. Remember is it So is it outdoors? <laughs> outdoors. In a nice, like, tropical place. Maybe I'm just confusing it with Animal Crossing. Maybe it is Animal Crossing. Oh, God. Maybe in Animal Crossing, the animals are actually departed spirits of and loved ones. And I'm communicating ones. with them. Well, I do have two that are kind of like my grandmother's. Returning to our quote, Despite spiritualism's ancient roots, the modern spiritualist movement dates from March 31st, 1848, when alleged spirit communications were first produced by the Fox sisters in Hydesville, New York. Margareta Maggie Fox, 14, and Kate, her 11-year-old sister, waylaid a neighbor, eager to share an odd, frightening phenomenon. Every night around bedtime, they said they heard a series of raps on the walls and furniture. 
wraps that seem to manifest with a peculiar, otherworldly intelligence. The neighbor, skeptical, came to see for herself, joining the girls in the small chamber they shared with their parents. While Maggie and Kate huddled together on the bed, their mother, Margaret, began the demonstration. Now count five, she ordered, and the room shook with the sound of five heavy thuds. Count fifteen, she commanded, and the mysterious presence obeyed. Next, she asked it to tell the neighbor's age. Thirty-three distinct raps followed. If you are an injured spirit, she continued, manifest it by three raps. And it did. It was the Beastie Boys coming from the future to the past with their raps. Oh, here's a little story I got to tell. One of the Beastie Boys has gone, mm-hmm. so, yeah. Adam. Yeah, it could be. I could highly be. doubt that Adam so. Yauch has gone back to 1848 to bother the Fox sisters in New you York. never know. It's true. So after their experiences... The Fox family fled their apparently haunted home, refusing to return. Instead, they went to live with an elder daughter in Rochester. There was much talk around town about the possible causes of the phenomenon. There was one particular story that stuck. Again, from the Smithsonian article, quote, Community leaders Isaac and Amy Post were intrigued by the Fox sister story and by the subsequent rumor that the spirit likely belonged to a peddler who had been murdered in the farmhouse five years beforehand. A group of Rochester residents examined the cellar of the Fox's home, uncovering strands of hair and what appeared to be bone fragments, end quote. Don't they know? It's the house. The house is never haunted. It's the people that are haunted. That is kind of true. Morgan gets into that later on. The suffering ghost, though, is a trope that we see in many films and stories of spirits with unfinished business. The concept has been around longer than the Fox sisters' tale. Take, for example, Charles Dickens' novella from a few years before this, A Christmas Carol, in which we meet Jacob Marley, Ebenezer Scrooge's deceased business partner, having died on Christmas Eve seven years before the book's events. In that story, Marley is a chained and tormented ghost doomed to wander the earth forever as punishment for his greed and selfishness when he was alive. He roams restlessly, witnessing the hardships that others suffer, and laments that he has forever lost his chance to help them. Ugh, that's the saddest. Poor Jacob Marley. Jacob Marley. On the 14th of November, 1849, the Fox sisters demonstrated their spiritualist rapping at the Corinthian Hall in Rochester. This demonstration is pointed to as the first documented public display of spiritualism and mediumship in the Western world. From Wikipedia, quote, Kate and Margareta Fox became well-known mediums giving seances for hundreds of people. Many of these early seances were entirely frivolous, where sitters sought insight into, quote, the state of railway stocks or the issue of love affairs. But the religious significance of communication with the deceased soon became apparent. Horace Greeley, the prominent publisher and politician, became a kind of protector for them, enabling their movement in higher social circles. But the lack of parental supervision was pernicious, as both of the young women began to drink wine. Naughty, naughty. Yeah, it is very naughty. Wine drinking. And people were just going there to say, hey, 
So is this stock going to go up in the stock market? I would just ask, give me knocks about the next 649 numbers. Exactly. Hey, this is a misuse of spirituality. It's true. But how do ghosts from the past know what's going to happen in the future? Because uh, there is no time on the other side, Carol. You should know that. Oh, yeah, I missed that chapter. Yeah, time is... I called in sick that day. (laughs) Time is a man-made construct. Oh, okay. Got it. Well, we've got to keep organization somehow. It's like the patriarchy. (laughs) (laughs) These girls had their detractors and naysayers too. But one of them was Margareta herself. She confessed that the whole thing was a hoax in an 1888 New York World article. Quote, Mrs. Underhill, my eldest sister, took Katie and me to Rochester. There it was that we discovered a new way to make the wraps. My sister was the first to observe that by swishing her fingers, she could produce certain noises with her knuckles and joints, and the same effect could be made with the toes. Such perfect control is only possible when the child is taken at an early age and carefully and continually taught to practice the muscles, which grow stiffer in later years. This, then, is the simple explanation of the whole method of the knocks and raps. Cracking knuckles. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's the oaks. But that's not how the raps were described earlier on. They were heavy thuds. Even before that confession came, though, the proverbial cat was out of the bag. And after the Fox story became public, scores of people in the U.S. and Canada and England became obsessed with the idea of spirit communication and groups attempting to have their own experiences with the help of self-proclaimed and often well-paid mediums sprung up everywhere. It's interesting to consider that the whole practice seems to stem from a proven hoax. However, there are people who still swear to its veracity. Kate, the other sister, did not ever confess to being involved in any kind of hoax, and Margareta herself recanted her confessions and returned to her public displays in the years before both sisters passed away themselves. Why on earth would you say in the paper which everybody reads because it's, it's like TV or the internet back then, that you fake this and then you go ahead and you say, yeah, we didn't actually fake it. It's a really big check. They're making money. Sure, they were making money. Lots of money. And then she tried to just get a regular Joe job and it was not as much fun or nearly as uh, uh, lucrative as this kind of speaking with the dead. So she got back on board. I guess so. I love it when these guys confess, though, like the photographer that took the picture of the Loch Ness Monster. He's like his whole life. He's just like, no, it's the real thing. And then on his deathbed, rubber tires. (laughs) Oh, no. One famous Canadian who became involved early on with the Fox sisters was Susanna Moody. She was an English-born Canadian author who wrote about her experiences as settler in Canada, which was a British colony at the time. Western University's Claudie Massicott wrote in her thesis, Talking Nonsense, Spiritual Mediums and Female Subjectivity in Victorian and Edwardian Canada, quote, Among others, Kate Fox visited Susanna Moody, who became captivated with spiritualism. Entranced by Fox's appearance, Moody described the spirit rapper as possessing the most beautiful eyes I ever saw on a human head. Not black, but a sort of dark purple. She is certainly a witch, for you cannot help looking into the dreamy depths of those sweet violet eyes till you feel magnetized by them. During their encounter, Moody witnessed Raps answering her questions with 
perfect precision and heard with astonishment the sound of her piano playing by itself as she conversed with the medium. By the end of the seance, she admitted being greatly troubled by the medium's abilities and became infatuated with spirit communications. End quote. I would buy that album, Those Sweet Violet Eyes by Spirit Rapper. I'm in. I'm in. Yo, yo, yo. Be a good album. Canadian author and naturalist Catherine Parr Trail wrote to Susanna Moody of her own experiences with the supernatural and mediumship in 1851. Again, from Talking Nonsense. Quote, I must tell you of a family ghost that appeared successively to Jane and Sarah while sitting up nursing Agnes in a Quincy. About one o'clock, the door of the room opened and a little woman in gray came in. She groped the floor and holding up her hand made a strange hissing sound and vanished. I guessed it to be a gray grimalkin, but Maria will have it. It was a ghost, end quote. The hissy thing. And so a grimalkin, also called a gray malkin, it's an archaic term for cat, apparently. And the term stems from gray, the color, plus malkin, an archaic term with several meanings. One is a low-class woman. Check. One, uh, two is a weakling, eh. a mop, or a name. And it's derived from a hippocoristic form of the female name Maud. Nice. Scottish legend makes reference to the Grimalkin as a fairy cat that dwells in the highlands. I want to hang out with a fairy cat that dwells in the highlands. Why not? Exactly. And it is rumored that Nostradamus, the French prophet and astrologer who lived between 1503 and 1566, had his own kitty named Grimalkin. Oh, nice. Thanks, Grimalkin is a good cat name. It is, actually. we it got really two is. Grimalkins out, that's out there. I can hear them <laughs> meowing. <laughs> yeah. Our Halloween kitties are meowing. Yeah. Another Canadian psychic medium was Mary Melville from Belleville, Ontario. Biographer Flora MacDonald published a book in 1900 on Mary's life and experiences titled Mary Melville, the Psychic. Mary showed signs of psychic sensitivity and became an adept as a young child at first through automatic spirit writing. So the spirits would talk to her and she would write things that they were saying. She seemed to be in communication with something beyond the veil. Her parents, concerned for her sanity, took her to doctors who could find nothing wrong with the girl. She was said to have developed her abilities into her adulthood and became involved in many seances. And that just reminds me of when Polly Walnuts goes to see the psychic in The Sopranos. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and all the, he because he's murdered, he's murdered so many people, uh, the, all these angry ghosts are there around him. And it was like a real experience. And he's, How do you know that? <laughs> you shut up! According to activehistory.ca, there were a lot of Canadian writers who uh, believed in spiritualism, and one of them was Lucy Maud Montgomery, the author of Anne of Green Gable. Cool! And there were also doctors involved in this, and one, Dr. Thomas Glendenning Hamilton, a medical doctor, psychical researcher, and former member of the Manitoba legislature whose scientific experience with mediums in Winnipeg during the 1920s and 30s attracted the attention of writer-turned-spiritualist Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who visited Hamilton in 1923, yeah, the writer of Sherlock Holmes was a spiritualist as well. As one might expect, the more religious and traditional folk of the day were not as open to the idea of attempting to connect with the world beyond this one. 
again from Talking Nonsense, quote, In 1853, Ignace Bourget, Bishop of Montreal, published a lettre pastorale in which he argued that seances were established on, quote, superstition and therefore diabolic cult, end quote. But I think he's just getting it confused. Well, I guess, I think it's entertainment, mostly, a little bit of comfort. I don't think people really took this seriously, but maybe they did. A lot of people still take it very seriously. Despite those misgivings and warnings, spiritualism took off in Eastern Canada in the 1850s and made its way here to British Columbia in the 1870s. So the first Canadian spiritualist groups identified as investigative associations and societies rather than churches. And they were headed by elected officers, boards of trustees, and laypersons. But there was one uh, group in Victoria in March 1886 that formed a society. Another in Nanaimo organized as the Nanaimo Association for Investigation of Spiritualism, abbreviated to Nanaimo Association of Spiritualists. And on March 5th, 1891, British Columbia's spiritualists organized themselves as a corporate body to be known first as the British Columbia Society of Spiritualists and located at Victoria. When I first moved to BC, I heard rumors from I don't know where. There were several rumors mm-hmm. that Nanaimo was full of Satanists and that I met someone who lived in Nanaimo and she said that she saw these guys wearing capes on their little ATVs bombing around behind her house. She was sure. So it's like they these were cult guys dressed in their garb on like, like Dracula's, <laughs> like Dracula's on, in their all-terrain vehicles. Yeah. Oh, uh, boy. I don't know why she knew they were Satanists, but... She assured me they were. As young Canadian men went off to fight and die in Europe during the First World War, the interest in spiritualism grew back home. Loved ones craved to connect with the deceased soldiers to find out what had happened to the men and whether the young heroes were at peace after their passing. The practices continued through the influenza pandemic that followed and into the Second World War. Even our wartime Prime Minister, William Lyon Mackenzie King, who we covered in detail in episode 80, was a rumored practitioner of spiritualism. If he was not using mediums to talk to and get advice from his dead dogs via spirit rapping during seances, it was said that he was looking for messages in the bottom of his teacups and in the shapes his morning shaving cream presented to him. These things were whispered about for years without confirmation, but after the war... Reporters became more brazen in their questioning of King from a Global News article. Quote, the first time the reporters actually started asking about this was when King was sick in London in 1948, just before he retired. Historian Alan Levine said, There was this stream of ladies who was going up to his room all the time. And the reporters in the lobby were kind of curious as to who these people are. And two of them were, in fact, British mediums. It was sort of just, again, not really talked about. I'm sure that they would be curious about a stream of ladies going up to a <laughs> gentleman's the, room. Yeah, that's pretty naughty, 1948. Who's this, who's this stream of ladies? And the two of them happened to be mediums. Mm-hmm. Hmm, just two? How many people were going up there? It's at a stream. I don't know how many people are in the stream. I don't know. But why would they be like, and out of 400 ladies that came by, two were mediums? So groups of spiritualists eventually began referring to themselves as churches. The International Spiritualist Alliance, ISA, 
headquartered in New Westminster, was incorporated under the British Columbia Societies Act on the 25th of September in 1959. They still have their office on Columbia Street, and you can find more about them at spiritualistalliance.ca. They have eight ministers, all female, and due to COVID-19, they have taken to Zoom for Sunday services and other events. I'm wondering if the ghosts and spirits and stuff show up on Zoom. That would be awesome. Wouldn't it? Yeah. It's like, dear ghost, will you please unmute yourself so you can... <laughs> you're muted. Excuse me, ghost in tile number 16, you're muted. You're, you're muted. Mu- oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> As part of their practice, these spiritualists sit in development circles to help individuals expand their awareness and strengthen their connection with spirit. According to their website, there are two types of development circles, open and closed. An open circle is led by a trained medium and open to everyone, regardless of their personal knowledge and experience level. A closed circle is a smaller group, on average six to eight people, of the same individuals led by a trained medium that commits to meet on a consistent basis for the purposes of developing their spiritual abilities through meditation and exercises but you must be a member of the spiritual alliance to sit in one of these closed circles. Cool. Then yeah. they kind of do their own thing there. Exactly. The open circles for like looky-loos like me. Hello. Yeah, exactly. And then if you, once you really get into it, then you go to the closed circle. They also practice mediumship from their website. In spiritualism, the term medium refers to a person with an ability to produce a phenomenon of mental or physical nature by channeling or communicating with a spiritual entity. Mediumship involves cooperative communication between a human and one or more discarnate spirit personalities. There are different forms of mediumship, but mental mediumship is the most commonly demonstrated. Other forms of mediumship are trance mediumship and physical, which is very rare, mediumship, both of which take many years to develop and are not as commonly witnessed as mental mediumship. They say that mental mediumship is communication from a spirit that takes place within the medium's consciousness without the use of any of the five physical senses. Because mental mediumship often occurs through telepathy, it is sometimes called telepathic mediumship. The medium relates what he or she sees, hears, or feels to the recipient or sitter. The medium may use various states of trance to obtain this information. Mental mediumship comes in three main forms, clairvoyance, clairaudience, and clairsentience. Clairvoyance means clear seeing, and it's the ability to see anything which is not physically present, such as objects, animals, or people. So they might see a presence behind you, Mm -hmm. standing behind you. Glaring at me? Yeah. Clairaudience is clear hearing. It's the ability to hear spirit voices that are not audible to other people. And clairsentience, clear feeling, is said to be the most commonly experienced form of mental mediumship. Clairsentience is the ability to sense physical attributes of a spirit presence. Hmm. I didn't know it was all broken down into three little parts. I thought, honestly, I thought clairvoyance was what you're describing there is the clear hearing. So the clear audience one. I thought they were just the people that could hear things. We just couldn't hear what they were hearing as ghosts were talking to them. Well, that's clear audience, yes. Yeah. But clairvoyance is the seeing. Yeah. No, I didn't know that. I field. thought clairvoyance was the whole thing. They also offer healings. You can submit a request online and they have like a little, you have to do math to prove that you're not a robot. Yep. 
and they offer courses if you're interested in becoming a healer yourself. I'm not interested in becoming a healer. How could a ghost heal? They're from the past. <laughs> Put leeches on it. <laughs> and we'll take a break right here. And we're back. And so what are your thoughts so far, Carol? Don't put leeches on it. Okay. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, I had a chance to speak with Morgan Knudsen about spirit communication. And what follows is my interview with her. And after that, we'll give a brief guide to performing your own seance. Oh, awesome. Morgan Knudsen is the award-winning founder of Entity Seeker Paranormal Research and Teachings, the evolution of the Association for Psychical Research in Canada from 1918, and the world-renowned Teaching the Living program for clients. Morgan Knudsen brings classes and presentations on this phenomenon to a new level. She can currently be seen on various television networks internationally, such as the Discovery Channel, Travel Channel, Destination America, T Plus E, UK's Quest Red, and is the resident paranormal specialist featured on Haunted Hospitals and Paranormal 911. Haunted Hospitals is currently the highest rated Discovery Network show in the UK, and both can now be seen globally. She can also be found on her live stream show, Spiritual Healthcare, which is live on Facebook. She's also a darn good egg. I've got a couple days off coming up. We need to watch the haunted hospitals and paranormal 911 back we, to back. We do. So here's Morgan. How did you get into ghost hauntings, the occult, and things supernatural? You know, I've always loved the supernatural. I, I had an experience when I was a really young child. I was probably about nine. And uh, when after that had happened, uh, you know, after I got over the, the fright of the entire situation, uh, it, the curiosity took over. And um, when I started to really dig into it as a kid, I was really fortunate because at that time period, the investigators that were on TV were really legitimate people, uh, you know, people like Carrie Gaynor and Lloyd Auerbach and, um, you know, members of the Society for Psychical Research. And that for me was, it, it was just amazing to be able to listen to these people and hear what was going on in the scientific community, that this stuff is real. It wasn't until years and years later, I found out that my own great-great-grandfather founded the first paranormal association in Canada mm. and in, in Toronto. And that was a just, a, it was a game changer. But it wasn't until about six years after I founded uh, Entity Seeker Research and Teachings. Oh, so you, you didn't find out until you were already doing it for some time. It was mind-blowing for me, um, and I don't believe it was coincidence. It sounds like you were led there by something or somebody. Yeah, it, it was, I, I think there's, you know, some things people are just, you know, we're, we're meant for, you know, or we arrange it before we get here or something, but but this was one of them. And uh, yeah, and, and what was funny, what I found really interesting was my great-great-grandfather, his name was Albert Durant Watson. He published two books on the subject, and his philosophies about it absolutely mirrored my philosophies about it, which both at the at the time weren't very popular and sometimes still aren't very popular. The idea that the paranormal can bring a lot of joy. Um, it just doesn't it doesn't ring true with a lot of people. And uh, and it was interesting to me that our philosophies seem to be parallel. Hmm, that's fascinating. Have you ever yourself 
participated in anything like a, a seance or an, any attempts to communicate with the other side? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because so many people will ask will ask about that, you know, thinking that they're they're going to get some you know crazy dark answer. But you know, I I try as much as I possibly can to be in communication with with that that non physical side of things. You know, I think when we're when we we start to cut that off or we start to to block off block that off in, in a negative way, uh, we miss not only a part of, uh, of the world that we're supposed to experience, but I think we, we also cut off a part of who we are and our own intuition and our own guidance as well. So for me, you know, any opportunity is a good opportunity to be able to, to embrace non-physical. I think the key is, is to be able to do it in a way where you know you're going to get something and receive something that is positive. Um, and that's a matter of mastering self. So do you do you have a have a particular method that um, that has gotten you to where you are? I, I know you wrote a bit about it in your book, but is there sort of a a nutshell thing that you can share with us? You know, I think for me, a lot of it is is being present in the moment. I think that's a huge part of it. Being able to master the ability to just calm your thoughts down. Um, so that you're you're able to let go of stressors, um, being able to you know, and some people equate this with meditation. I don't think it necessarily has to look like meditation. I mean, most artists, um, myself included, will tell you, you know, it's it's like it's almost like going into a trance state when you're painting. Uh, Mozart described it that way as well, um, where you can you can just let go and just get into the flow of the joy of whatever it is you're doing. And uh, so it doesn't have to necessarily look like, you know, sitting cross-legged on the floor on a yoga mat. Um, it, it can look like a bunch of different things, but anything that really gets, gets me into the flow uh, for me specifically, oftentimes it's fire because I'm a fire performer as well. I find that extremely uh, meditative. And uh, and anything that's getting you into the flow, I think, puts you in the receiving mode of, uh, of communication. So that's what all the rituals are about, um, you know, even sitting down with a Ouija board and doing that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's the time to take a take a breath, to to focus, to ask, to expect from the universe, to expect from non-physical. And the the problem that and the I guess the stigma that has come about with things like Ouija boards is that people sit down with them expecting to be afraid mm-hmm. or they go in afraid or they go in nervous. And you know, as you and I both know, we get what we are emotionally experiencing. And when you're experiencing that, you're really lining yourself up for an experience that reflects exactly the, you know, your state of being at that time. Hmm. That, that's pretty fascinating. Uh, that is exactly how I look at it. Uh, it doesn't matter how you get there as long as you have your own kind of way to do it. Um, well, yeah. And that's, that's the great thing about the, you know, rituals from all over the world. That's, that's why there's just not one way to go about it. You know, you look at all of different cultures, different you know regions. All they they all have the same phenomenon, and they all have different ways of of getting there. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, I the, I have some listeners who uh, we have some listeners who claim that their homes are haunted, or some that would love to be able to figure it out whether or not their homes are haunted. Um, is there a way that a lay person? can go about discovering something like that or what are the signs that they should look for? I realize this is probably a really long answer, but (laughs) that's why I'm asking. 
Well, you know, there there are. And I think I think the first thing that people have to do is really, really start to get still with themselves. I, I think they have to really ask themselves some hard questions um, about what they're experiencing, making sure that they're not, you know, looking for answers that are, you know, external from themselves in order to solve a problem. Um, I think that's a big one where, uh, you know, some people will will kind of get their identity sort of wrapped up in the idea that their house is haunted. So I think there has to be some level of self-awareness. Um, but I, one thing I always tell my clients to do is start journaling. Because when you start to journal the experiences that have happened, you start to notice things like patterns, um, you know, is this stuff happening at a certain time of day? Is this happening when I'm feeling stressed out? Is this happening when, you know, how am I feeling uh, just before an incident occurs? And when you can start to kind of like just I guess, dissect a pattern out of the what can sometimes feel like chaos that can be a really identifiable um, uh, identifiable marker as to, you know, whether it's something external, whether it's something maybe internal and you're creating it on the outside, something like psychokinesis. We've had uh, in the past people who are, are get stressed out that are actually able to physically move objects and they start to blame it on, a, on an external spirit. Um, so you can start to realize a lot through journaling and, and keeping a, a diary as to what's going on. Um, you know, I'm always hesitant to to tell people to start communicating um, if they're feeling fearful about what's going on. Um, you know, if they want to sit down and start communicating with anything non-physical, my first uh, go-to for, for people who are interested in that is before you do any of it, sit down and write yourself a paragraph of something that makes you feel really good. So something that you don't have any resistance around. Maybe it's your your cat or your kid or something that happened to you that you just brings you a lot of joy. Write a paragraph on that. See how you feel and then sit down with, you know, a, you know, a recorder or something like that and then start to engage, you know, maybe whatever you think it is. Um, so those would be my, my go-tos, um, you know, if, if people are, you know, have ruled everything out, they've, you know, they can't find an explanation for it. They want answers um, and, and to start that way. But make sure you're always doing something from, from a positive state of mind um, and, and not approaching any of this stuff with, uh, you know, fear, depression, anger, anything like that. So that's the perfect segue into uh, what I wanted to talk about next. Um, we talked to you before on episode 66 when we covered the Great Amherst Mystery. And there were people who believed that the young lady who was involved in that particular event, the things that were happening around her, there were a lot of people who believed that she caused those events. Um, and we've all heard about possibly fabricated hauntings or uh, definitely debunked and proven fabricated. So what's the process to, to weed out the true from the false with that kind of thing? Well, I, I think a lot of it lies in the in investigators' uh, interview abilities. Uh, when when you're talking with with a client, because I've I've had it before where we've we've you know been able to go into a home, 
uh, you know, basically give a give a, a very rational, natural explanation as to to what's going on, and you'll have the client fight you tooth and nail that it's 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 got to be paranormal, and it's almost as if they've got their identity wrapped up in the idea that my house is special, my house is haunted, you know, I'm special because I'm experiencing it, and how dare you tell me otherwise? And um, you know, usually we don't get a lot of actual hoaxes. Um, but we will get people who are just determined to have a paranormal explanation. And I think at that point, it's, it's one of those situations where we really have to just weed out, um, you know, all of these natural explanations as best as we possibly can. And that takes a, a team of various people that know what they're doing in terms of architecture and nursing and psychiatry and all that kind of thing. Um, but it's it really is about understanding the motivation and the uh i guess the the internal dialogue of of the client which is one of the reasons why we call our program teaching the living uh, without without understanding the client you really don't have a hope in hell of understanding what exactly is going on in the house yeah that totally makes sense um so what is it? Uh, have you had any cases recently that really stand out to you? I know with COVID, probably things are a little different and uh, you're probably not getting out and about as much. But um, what, if anything, what stands out to you is probably the most uh, interesting case? Oh, geez. But they're probably actually one that I'm, I've, I've been working on over the last little while. It's an uh, acreage. Um, and it's, They've been my clients now for for quite a while because they've had various incidents go on in their house. Um, but the, uh, the the place itself uh, is uh, uh, old First Nations land, and they've had phenomenon going on on the land that I've just <laughs> I've never seen before. Um, everything from these these kind of dogmen encounters um, that they've they've witnessed to um, uh, you know, voices sort of echoing around their their place. They've got a beautiful place. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Um, I mean, there's nobody around. And uh, so voices that that start, you know, calling hello, hello, um, out in, in and around the property. They go outside. There's nobody there. Um, and lights in the, in the wooded area that they can't explain. Um, they've had, uh, you know, their dogs seeing... Um, uh, these these sort of dogman type things out near the tree line, um, just really really wild stuff. And I, I've had to I've had to really um, dig into and understand some of the the First Nations uh, beliefs and traditions and phenomenon that has been recorded for for centuries uh, in order to get my head around some of the stuff that that's been going on there. But it's it's absolutely been phenomenal so these things you're referring to as dogmen what what do you what if you assess them to be at this point well you know we don't know um in in first nations uh history they've been reported all over all over the the coast and um you know throughout the prairies and stuff like that for for ages um you know you go down into the u.s with cases like the beast of bray road in wisconsin um you come up to alberta there's uh uh, one near nordeg that's been seen on the highway um they the the known as the alberta dog man um they really don't know the uh the first nations people um whether it be and, and throughout you know different different peoples different tribes um have 
ex- have described them to be almost protectors of various burial lands um, that they are they're, they're put there for for various reasons. Um, the the Navajo in um, uh, in in some of these other places like Utah and whatnot believe that um, uh, they can be put there as a curse. Um, so there's it, it's it's very broad, um, but lo and behold, people see them. And I think when you get a wide variety of people that are, are, you know, experiencing this, even the ones that don't have anything to do with the culture at all, you got to pay attention. If somebody really wants to get into spirit communication, but they don't want to necessarily do it alone, what is there uh, groups of people that they can contact, perhaps uh, guides who won't just want their money? I love this question. I, I think it's, I think you've hit the, the nail on the head with, with this because there's such a, a wide base of, of fraud that goes on when it comes to the subject matter. And it, it drives me mental. Um, and, and partly because people want to lead these individuals to believe that, you know, they can't do this. They have to rely on somebody else to do that. And I think that for, right off the bat is a misnomer. Um, but some of the best foundations or two of the best foundations that I know of um, is the one of them is being the Forever Family Foundation. And it was founded by um, investigator Lloyd Auerbach. And he works with some of the most brilliant, brilliant mediums uh, that, that you want to get. And uh, he purposely has them to coach families that are have been grieving. Hmm. Um, people that are looking to connect with their loved ones, but they just aren't up the emotional scale enough yet. Um, and I mean, this, these, I can't say enough about these people. They are so kind, so caring and are so not out for people's money. Um, so them, I would highly recommend. And the other one is, uh, the Windbridge Institute and the Windbridge Institute, um, is run by, uh, uh, two doctors who are just phenomenal. They've uh, been steeped in this research for ages and um, uh, they have one of the only lists of scientifically tested and scrutinized mediums in the world. Um, And these guys don't play around. Um, It's led by uh, Dr. Uh, Mark Bocosi and um, his wife, uh, Dr. Julie Baichel. And the two of them are absolutely phenomenal and are been known to connect people, uh, you know, with, with, with the help, with the right information. And uh, I can't say enough about both. Now, I'm not going to ask you to name anybody who you think is a a fraud because that's not nice (laughs) and that's not what I do. But uh, are there any ways for somebody who's inexperienced that they can possibly spot someone who's trying to take them for a ride or just a complete fake? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think think one of those things is, you know, if they are turning around and, and, you know, asking for for you know a large amount of money up front right there your red flag should be going off um that's as that's not good um the other thing is that if they're asking you a pile of questions um beforehand or they're asking you to give them information you know during say for example a reading um your the red flag should be going off um you know there's a, a few three different types of readings that uh we look for as, as investigators that are are blatantly meant for either you know fraud or entertainment and that's a hot reading a cold reading or a warm reading and when you've got a hot reading a great example of this is when somebody will call in 
uh, say to make book an appointment with a psychic, and they have they ask you an absolute ton of questions. You know, age. You know, uh, uh, you know, age, full name, this type of thing. And when you get there, you find that the person has a ridiculous amount of information about you. Um, and what happens is these people will take your information that they've gathered, you know, on the phone when you're booking the appointment and go and research the hell out of you on social media and things like that. And then they will start to pull information and they bring it to the table and it looks like a miracle. Um, so you'll see hot readings like this um, on uh, a lot of television shows um, and, and things like that. Um, cold readings are a little bit different. Cold readings are usually done with no information at, up front. Um, you'll see these in some psychic tea rooms and stuff like that, where you just kind of sit down with a psychic. Um, they're, they usually want to hold your hand. They want to look in your eyes. Um, and what they're looking for are things like uh, the movement in your fingertips, uh, your pupil dilation, all this kind of thing. And they use a process called fishing. So they'll make a statement and they're looking for uh, you to give them information back. So, for example, it would be, oh, you know, I, I sense that there's I sense that there's a male in your life who is really important to you. Is that correct? And immediately people go, oh, yeah, 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 that's correct. Yeah. Well, bam, you've just given them the next piece. Right. Um, so, you know, you're, you're watching for things like that and, you know, and and being aware of the the types of readings that are out there. Once you see it, you can't really unsee it. Are there any precautions that one should take prior to in attempting, and I'm, I don't mean to be make this all dark and creepy, but it is in a way. Uh, are there any precautions that anyone should take prior to attempting, attempting to engage with a departed spirit uh, or a loved one or a stranger or whoever? Um, Anything that people should do to protect themselves, uh, if you know what I, I mean. Yeah, I think whatever whatever that person can do to get themselves as happy as they can possibly get um, before they go in. And sometimes that means a blessing. Sometimes it means a prayer. Sometimes it means, you know, as I say, do a, you know, write your paragraph of something that makes you feel really joyful. Mm. What, whatever that is for you um, is to get yourself into that good state of being. As soon as you're doing a ritual or a prayer or a you know something with the intention of protecting yourself, immediately right there, you know you're doing it from a state, a, a place of fear, mm -hmm. um, and that's the wrong energy. You don't want to be doing that. Um, people that you know want their house blessed, for instance, are often often run into this problem where they are doing it from a place of oh my god, I don't want this thing to get me, rather than man, I'm feeling really good and I want to, I want more of this good feeling. So I think that's that's the main thing to watch out for. How you do it is is really a personal thing. Yeah, I gotcha. So it's more uh, it's more about your state of mind and why you're going into it. Absolutely, and being clear mm -hmm. about why you're going into it. Yeah, I guess being fearful, you're just going to attract what you're afraid of anyway. So absolutely, that's that's exactly it. You know, if if you're feeling fear, you're feeling uh, anxious. Uh, you know, that negative anticipation. That's that's the sign. Nope. You know call it a night. So you've written one book. Are you planning another? I am. Yeah. I've got a, another one in the works that I've been doing research for, uh, in the, for the last year or so here. And it's just, it's been a huge project because the, the amount of information <laughs> that it's going to take to write is, is it, it's quite substantial, Good. but I want to really address the, the idea of, um, 
these people that have had paranormal experiences and have been labeled mentally ill or labeled, you know, some sort of pariah or, you know, whatever has happened. And to really validate scientifically that, no, this, these experiences are real. This is not some, some form of mental illness. So is, is there anyone uh, who a lot of people will know that you think was treated unfairly in that regard? Um, yeah, I think I think there's been you know it, cases just throughout history and and people that have come to me um, saying you know that this has happened to them that they've been uh, you know mis misdiagnosed with um, like schizophrenia or misdiagnosed with schizoaffective disorder or you know or or just labeled in, in a negative way. I think um, you know there's there's so many throughout history that have just said look like. You know this. This has happened, and um, I mean, we you know we talked about the Amherst case, um, and whatnot. And you know, I think I think we have to be really careful about the the labels that that get thrown around, um, and and the idea that this that that mental health is is really starting to change, mm-hmm. um, and how everything is being uh, being viewed. Um, there's a, uh, a an amazing, a brilliant uh, uh, doctor. Uh, recently, who came forward with information about um, hypnagogic and hypnopompic hallucinations, mm. which is when you're either going into or coming out of sleep, that now they don't know whether or not these are actually hallucinations, and they're thinking that it actually might be something else. So it, this is something that's just constantly evolving. Yeah, I find this stuff so fascinating. I mean, we still don't really understand consciousness to the degree that we should. <laughs> <laughs> and then oh, yeah. and then and then we say well that's not possible how do we know that that's not possible there was a there was a paper that was just released and it was within the last uh, week or so here and i was reading about this actually not long before uh, we started talking and it had to do with the idea uh, that a new theory has been proposed uh, about consciousness where they think it might have something to do with the electromagnetic field around the brain and that the neurons are actually tapping into this electromagnetic field and that is creating consciousness on uh, and on our awareness and and whatnot which is why they're they're proposing uh, machines for for instance have not been able to start thinking um wow. and it, I, it was just fascinating that's that is fascinating if you don't mind sending me that link i'll read it I will. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just really love talking to you, Morgan. The first time we chatted for the Amherst Mystery, I had such a good time. Oh, me too. And I love the stuff that you're doing. Just your approach is so fresh compared to uh, what I see a lot. I really appreciate it that you approach it with such a positive mind and not this dark, ooh, we're we're here to scare you. It's not about that with you at all, even though it still is sort of scary. <laughs> do you, you know what I mean? I, I do. And I, I so appreciate that. And I just, I, I so appreciate your questions because they're also, they're always so insightful and just doing this. I just have a blast. Awesome. Well, there you go. So we'll make it relatively painless. And I think that's it. I think that's awesome. (laughs) And that was really great. What a great interview. Thank you, Morgan. Thanks, Morgan. You can learn more about her work at entityseeker.ca and other links that we will provide in our show notes on darkpatine.com. So have you ever participated in a seance, Carol? No. Have you used a Ouija board, anything like that? Not for real. Only one time in university, I had a roommate that told me she was afraid of a Ouija board, so I bought a Ouija board and put it on her desk. 
I was not a nice roommate, okay? Did you guys use it together? Or? No. She was that scared and she was actually kind of mad because she's like, I told you that. Now you're going to use it against me. Well, I have tried to use Ouija boards with my friends. Uh, so in high school with a couple of groups of friends, actually, we used a Ouija board or spirit board to attempt to communicate with spirits. And I have to admit, we hoaxed each other quite elaborately a few times. So I'm not sure if any real communication actually happened. Um, in one scheme, though, at Brad's house, you've met Brad. He lives oh, here yeah. in British Columbia. We terrified his girlfriend with music playing in different parts of the house and even a floating knife on a fishing line. She was really upset. And that was that was not nice. She was afraid and later quite angry. Oops. Come on. The fishing line on a knife, a knife on a fishing line kind of bobbing up and down. She's really yeah. scared. Yeah. Even Brad's dad was involved in. <laughs> the only thing we ever did like that was at slumber parties and did the Bloody Mary thing in the mirror, in the bathroom mirror. That counts. That's a seance? Okay. Yeah, because you're trying to invoke Bloody Mary, right? Yeah, and how do you do that? Light. Why do you do that? You say her name over and over and then you quickly switch the lights off and on. Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. And then you're supposed to see her in the mirror. Right. Yeah. We never did, but you get all worked up and scared and excited. It's just fun. The simplest formula I could find for holding a seance comes from learningreligion.com's article, How to Hold a Seance. And it's written by Patty Wigington. And she says, step one, plan your guest list. That's a good idea. Yeah. You don't want people who you don't want there. Figure out how many people you're going to have. And make sure the space you're using will allow them all. If your living room only seats eight people comfortably, don't invite 15. That makes sense to me. Also be sure that everyone attending is open-minded to the spirit world. People who are adamantly non-believers bring a certain amount of negative energy, Carol. And this can be disruptive. Fine, don't invite me to my own seance. I get it. You may also find that it adversely affects your communication with spirits during your seance. On the other hand, someone who swears that seances are just a bunch of trickery and mumbo-jumbo may find themselves surprised by their experience. Whether you invite these folks in is entirely up to you and your guests and what makes you the most comfortable. So again, goes back to what Morgan was talking about. It's about setting yourself up for success by being positive. So put in a potter's wheel. Oh, my love. Oh, like go. Maybe Patrick Swayze would come for a visit. He is dead. He could. He could dance for us. He's such a good dancer. So step two is create a spirit-friendly atmosphere. Most people like to conduct a seance at a round or oval table. But if neither is available, don't worry. Drape the table with fabric or sheets. Some people prefer light colors to attract, quote, friendly spirits, but it's a matter of personal preference. If you use incense, be sure that no one in your group is allergic to it. <laughs> this is practical advice. Yeah. Place incense somewhere away from the table rather than on the table itself. Candles are a nice addition as well. Not only do they provide some visibility, but there's a school of thought that believes spirits are attracted to heat and light sources. Just turn on the heat. Every time I turn on the heat now, I'll be just like, ghost, you okay? Step three is common sense. <laughs> Sorry. Help everyone get comfortable by offering refreshments before you begin. Make sure that guests will be respectful of the spirits and of other guests. Turn off all cell phones. Yeah, that would be problematic is having everybody looking at Facebook while you're trying to concentrate to bring a spirit in. Yes, yes, yes. 
Ooh, kitties. Ooh. <laughs> if anyone needs to go to the bathroom or have a smoke, do so before you begin. Set the thermostat at a comfortable temperature. Remember that spirit activity can cause some fluctuation in levels of cold or heat. Once everyone is seated, you can help everyone relax by doing a short guided meditation, offering a prayer, or casting a protective circle if your tradition requires you to do so. Just sage the place. Just sage it. Well, it does talk about that later. Oh. Step four, during the seance. Although many people like to do this, you don't have to hold hands to raise energy. In fact, if a seance goes on too long, it can get downright uncomfortable. Whoever is acting as the leader of the seance, the medium, should ask the spirits to join the group. If there is a specific spirit you're trying to contact, ask for them by name. For example, now would be the time to say, Dear Auntie Gertrude, we respectfully ask that you honor us with your presence this evening. Oh, Auntie Gertrude. Oh, that reminds me of my Aunt Eunice. Oh, there, so there you have somebody you talk to. Yep. In some seances, spirits are summoned by chanting. This will be up to your medium to decide on. Hemotep. Oh, yeah, you don't want that one. <laughs> as long as the spirits seem willing to reply, you can carry on a question and answer session with them. Bear in mind that spirits respond in many different ways. Sometimes there will be a tangible reaction, a tap, a thump, a soft breeze. Other times, particularly if you have a room full of very psychically gifted people, the spirit may choose to respond through another person. This may be the medium or could be any other guest. The individual may simply get a message to pass along, which they would then share as, Your Auntie Gertrude wants you to know she isn't in any pain anymore. Well, that's nice. That is. It's comforting. Sometimes, particularly if you have a group of psychically gifted individuals as guests, you may get several spirits arriving at once, chattering away. This is not cause for alarm, but it does take some managing because they've all got something to say. So, ghost one, <laughs> now raise your ghostly hand kind of thing. So treat it like you would any other conversation with a large group of people. Let each spirit get their turn to deliver the message they came with and then move on to the next one. Also bear in mind that not all spirits are from departed humans. Deceased pets may also have a message to pass along. Like Moosh would say, she wants steaks. And to go for a swim at the beach. And to die for rocks. <laughs> go rock diving. You may also find that you want to use some sort of divination tools during your seance, using a pendulum tarot cards, automatic writing, or a Ouija board are all common ways to invite the spirits into your seance circle. It sounds like fun, although a lot of this is not COVID friendly. No. Are you open to doing something like this? I would totally participate and I would want to speak to ghosts, but deep down I'm just like, they're not going to come visit me. Interesting. Unless we're in Disneyland, then they visit. I love the haunted house at Disneyland. So here it talks about what about unwanted entities. Just like at any other party, sometimes a seance will bring in an uninvited guest. In this case, you have a spirit that seems malevolent or mischievous. Someone needs to let them know they're unwelcome. Typically, this will be the medium who's leading the seance, and they'll usually say something like, you're not wanted here, but we thank you for your presence. Now it's time for you to move on. Piss off, ghost. Beat it. Beat it, demon. A demon. <laughs> if an entity arrives that seems angry or hostile, will not leave no matter what you do, end the seance. It's possible that it's been attracted to someone in your group who may have underlying issues. Yeah, like you don't want Ted Bundy at your seance. <laughs> <too>. <laughs> 
No, I used to think, hey, that'd be fun. Now I'm just like, no thanks. No That's thanks. good. I know enough I need to know about you. Closing the door. When you're done with the seance, it's important that guests thank the spirits for coming to visit. After all, you would do so if you had living guests drop in. And if one of your attendees seems to have slipped into a trance or a sleep-like mm -hmm. state during the seance, allow them to return gradually on their own. Do not shake them awake. Chances are they'll have a message for someone once they are back among the group. Close the seance by telling the spirits farewell, thanking them, and asking them to move along. You may want to offer a small blessing or prayer as a way of ending the formal seance, but bear in mind that some spirits like to hang around after the seance is officially finished. If they do, it's okay. They're probably just curious, and they may return to visit you later in the evening during a dream sequence. That part's kind of cool, because I want my dreams to mean stuff. So to have someone actually talk to me in a dream from the afterlife would be pretty rad. Additional tips before you begin your seance, smudge the area with sage or sweet grass for ritual cleansing. Make sure you have eliminated potential distractions such as children or ringing telephones <laughs> or cats in our... Meow. Yeah, interestingly, many pets seem to come and go through spirit activity without causing any disruption. Cats in particular tend to be very curious about what's going on, like our cat that was meowing outside the door Donner. earlier, and have been known to make themselves right at home in the middle of spirit work. Your guests may wish to bring an object that belonged to a deceased person as a way of strengthening the connection. Photographs are also good links to the dead. And so there you go. And we'll have a few links in our show notes that will help with questions you might have. And some reading suggestions are Buckland's Book of Spirit Communications, Life After Life by Dr. Raymond A. Moody, and Nothing So Strange, the Autobiography of Spiritualist and Psychic, Arthur Ford. Hmm. And that's it for this week's show. That's it? That's it. Oh my gosh. So I guess All the ghosts. All the ghosts. We should have invited ghosts, but ghosts know they're always welcome. They're always welcome. I yeah. don't know what kind of ghosts would show up to a true crime podcast, so I'm not really keen on that, really, if that makes any sense to you. Maybe someone thanking you. Maybe it's someone giving you tips. As <laughs> it's on the anonymous calls. All right, let's see. Oh boy. Did we have any voicemails this week? Uh, actually, if you want to send us one, you can leave us one at one 327 5786 or one 877 If your call stands out, you might hear it on the show. Let's listen to this one from Calgary. Ooh. Hey, boys. Uh, this is Anshel from Calgary. I uh, just wanted to call and say, you know, I love your show. Uh, listening to you guys is like listening in on all my French uncles at every family gathering. Um, now, I'm I'm a palliative home care nurse, which means I support uh, people living at home with terminal illnesses. Um, and uh, now I'm I'm not sure what that says about me, but uh, you know, hey, I'm listening to you guys, so that's a whole lot of death going on. Um, but I came out honestly because my, my mother was a caretaker for the local cemetery. Uh, she arranged plots and maintenance, that sort of thing. So I spent a lot of time visiting the dead relatives in the cemetery. Uh, in fact, my, my cousins and I would get into trouble for climbing all over the 20-foot-high crucifix. 
um, folks would be like, get down off that cross. It's not a jungle gem. So maybe that could be an episode idea, you know, kids falling off of inappropriate climbing structures. Uh, but I digress. I actually called to say, you know, keep up the good work. Um, love the Canadian content. And just to let you in on a little secret, your, um, your customary goodbye about, you know, pooping in your headgear, I have no idea where that came from. But um, did you know when sick folks can't make it to the toilet, uh, we in home care set up a little portable commode, which is like a little toilet on wheels. And there's a little bucket underneath that catches the little poop specimen. And it looks exactly like an upside-down cowboy hat. So I bet you didn't know that folks all over the country are following your advice. Hope that makes, makes your day and puts a smile on your face. Take care, guys. Bye now. Well, how about that? People are shitting in their hats. All across the land, this great nation of ours. <laughs> People in palliative care, <laughs> which is guys. sad. Hey. But they're going and shitting in hats. There you go. Gives me something to look forward to. I guess so. <laughs> Where's that big hat? <laughs> Where's the upside down cowboy hat? I need to go. I also like she's just hanging out in cemeteries. Climbing on crucifixes. Well, I did all that kind of stuff when I was a kid, too. I did not. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's listen to a local caller. Hi, Mike and Scott. This is Chris from Richmond calling. Long-time listener, first-time caller. And I just wanted to call and tell the two of you how wonderful your podcast happens to be. I enjoy it. It's one of the few podcasts that's in podcast rotation. And uh, I just wanted to, to share that with you. But the reason for my phone call actually has to do with this other podcast that I was listening to. I'm not sure if you've heard about it. It's called the C4 Canucks Hockey Podcast. And I heard this guy describe the two of you as the Ryan Reynolds of Canadian podcasts. Can you believe that? That's, that's completely crazy. Ryan Reynolds? No, no. I mean, maybe Ryan Gosling of Canadian podcasts. Not Ryan Reynolds. Anyhow. Just wanted to call and let you know that. You should go check that podcast out because apparently they're going to be talking to you. Uh, but other than that, go poop in your toque. So that was Chris Golden. That was Chris Golden from Richmond uh, coming to you live. Yeah, that was uh, Chris Golden, whose podcast Scott and I were actually on. What? No. Calling in to plug his own show. And I guess did you talk about the Canucks? We did talk about Did you talk like this the whole time? No. Oh, that's really disappointing. I wanted he's, to listen to that. He's got a great radio voice. It okay. was fun. I know. <laughs> we won't, won't, won't be undersold. Won't we? No. Go Canucks. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen ever oh. again. That's it for voicemails. There were a few that were really, really long. So try to keep them short, folks. Uh, we can't like under two minutes. Yeah, under two minutes yeah, is give probably. Them a little. Yeah, don't forget the uh, phone number is one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N. Yeah, I guess it's time for Patreon shoutouts. <gasps> Patreons, Carol. This Thanks, is guys. this the first time you're doing Patreon? No, I no, think you've I done did it, it once before. before. Uh, I know. Look, I'm no Scott Hemingway. Don't. I'll give it a. Uh, Give it a I'm bash, glad you're though. not. I'm glad I'm not married to Scott Hemingway. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. 
and not because I don't love Scott. I think he's a great guy, but yeah, I I would rather it be you. Aw, thanks. You're welcome. So first up, from Wainwright, Alberta, Hmm. we have Carmel Nickel. Nice. And what do you think Carmel Nickel does with her time in Wainwright, Alberta? What's her job? She's the Carmel counter. She counts caramels? Yes. Those Halloween bags of caramels need to be counted individually. And it's not really, can't really rely on a machine to do it. Wow. I know. But her name is Carmel. It's not Carmel. It's okay. It's okay? It's Carmel, the caramel counter. Oh, okay. Fair enough. And how much does each caramel cost? One nickel. Wow, isn't that convenient? I know. She was born to do the job. She was born to do it. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have Lynn Antonazzi. And where is Lynn from? Beirut? Whoa. She's from Beirut. Oh my gosh, Lynn. What does Lynn Antonazzi do in Beirut? Oh man, she makes those delicious breakfasts with the eggs. The eggs and the tomatoes. Shakshuka. Shakshuka. She's a shakshuka maker, man. She's a shakshuka chef. Oh, she's up early at the crack of dawn, cracking those eggs, cutting those tomatoes. Wow. I know. She's the best. Oh, my goodness. (gasps) Here's a name I recognize. Oh, my God. Me, too. This is Vicki Engdahl. Hey. One of our very oldest friends. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Thank you, Vicki. Aw. What does Vicki do with her time? She's, um, let me roll the dice. No, you you don't need to do that because that's for places. Oh, it took me to Antarctica. She's what, exploring Antarctica Antarctica in her spare time? In her spare time. Wow. She gets in the old Ford and drives. She loves a good road trip, goes (laughs) all the way to Antarctica. As long as she's not riding a bicycle in Antarctica, she should be fine. Now, she's on a big bike, on a big truck with heat. There you go. Mm hmm. Well, thank you so much, Vicky. That was a nice surprise. Stop it. Stop it. Stop. What are you doing? Uh, next, we have Vera Hunka. Ooh. And she is from Tempir in Finland. Oh, wow. Cool. That's far away. What does our Finnish patron do, Carol? Oh, man. The pressure's Vira on. Vera Hunka. She is a knitter for sure. She knits? She knits. Does she knit socks or hats? I'm going to say she knits great big sweaters. She knits great big sweaters. Well, yes, there you go. With colors. Donner is very excited about that. I hear And I don't meowing. know what their dollar, like what their That's currency a euro. is. Is it euro? Yes. Oh, cool. Thank Next, you. Next, we have Nathan Whedon. And where's he from? Oh, Delaware. He's from Delaware. <laughs> Kate from- May, actually. Cape May, Delaware. Oh, look at this fancy house he lives in. It's really nice. Oh, well, there you go. He lives in Cape May, Delaware. And what does Nathan Whedon do in Cape May, Delaware? He puts on big parties. He's a party planner. He's got this great big house. He kind of has some like oldie time parties. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sort of like steampunk kind of things. Yeah, but not like so much Victorian. Victorian, for sure. Oh, there you go. Bustles are mandatory. Mm. Mm-hmm. Nothing better than a fancy bustle. Oh, and the vapor's couch. Woo! That's extra. Well, thank you, Nathan. <laughs> Nathan, you're the best. Next, we have Laura Sexsmith. And I don't know where Laura's from either. Burkina Faso. Where is that? West Africa. Oh, she's in West Africa. What does Lauren Sexsmith do in West Africa? Crocodile wrestler. 
She's wrestling crocodiles. African crocodiles. Whew, that's tough. They're big, but she's strong. It reminds me of the story about your dad and the hippopotamus. <laughs> he didn't wrestle a hippo, man. He's just lucky it just ran right by him. So he was pooping? Yep. In the reeds? Yep. And the hippopotamus ran within like feet of him? Yes. And it could have crushed him while he was it pooping. It could have, totally. And their big, huge jaws could just like, they're vegetarians, but I think they could still stomp you and crunch you. Just, they will kill you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Laura Sexsmith, the just crocodile wrestler. Just be careful wrestler. of those yeah. uh, hippos while you're out wrestling crocodiles. There you go. Next up, we have from Thornbury in Australia, Louise Valmoria. And what does Louise do in Australia? Is she a nice lady? I'm sure she's a nice nice lady. You're a nice lady. She works on that show Underbelly. Oh, she works on Underbelly. She's the best. She's in wardrobe. Oh, she does the wardrobe for Underbelly. So good. Yeah, it is a good show. If you haven't seen it, download Underbelly or find it somewhere. Yes. She turned down the big job at Wentworth because she's stuck with Underbelly. Oh, well, there you go. Wentworth was good, though. Wentworth vinegar is another tits. good show. <laughs> can I say tits. that during the page? You can say vinegar tits vinegar anytime. Vinegar tits. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> and that's it for patrons. So let's Phew. move on to our PayPal people. The people who do PayPal. Holy smokes. So here's one from Lorian Barnard. And she says, happy birthday, great Scott. Happy Sunday, Mike. Put this towards some plutonium <laughs> and to help you get back to 1985 or maybe a hoverboard or if they're sold out because, you know, pandemic, donuts will have to do. I think I exerted all my creative expertise in my last donation message. I apologize. Keep being the cool cats you are and stay safe. Peace, love and light and water boxes. <laughs> Your resident nice lady, hey. Lorian Barnard. I'd say so, Lorian. Cheese. Wow. Thanks yeah, for that's the cash. Very nice. Look at that. Much appreciated, that's Lorian. It's so much donuts. It's so much donuts. And here's another. I know, Denise. A whopper of a donation. Thank Denise. you so much, Denise Sakaki. What? And she's our friend from Seattle. Yeah. She's an awesome possum and a very, very nice person. She's the best. And we appreciate that so, so much. It is delightful. It's delightful. It is a delightful. It is delightful. And that's it. And she loves miniature things. Does she? Oh, she makes little tiny things. She loves like little dollhouse size things. Yeah. She's super creative. I see that on Facebook. I love it. I'm just like, ooh. And she's very funny too. Yeah, she has she a is. great sense of humor. Great sense of humor. A humor. You'll see her in the yumby yard. See her in the yumby yard with her great sense of humor. A humor. Thanks, Denise Sakaki. <laughs> Much appreciated. <laughs> Sounds good when you say it like that. Denise Sakaki. Seahorses. Seahorses. <laughs> a thank you to all our patrons and donut money donors past and present for your help to keep us doing what we do. If you want to help keep Dark Poutine going, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash darkpoutine. Or for a one-time donation, you can send us donut money via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already subscribe to the show, it mean a lot to us if you did. You can easily find us on iTunes, Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. 
Check out our website, darkpoutine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Please take time to give Dark Poutine a like or follow on Facebook and Instagram. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Until we return, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Happy Halloween, and hopefully we'll see Scott back real soon. Love you, folks. Bye. 